0: And that's what the Gospel of John calls us to do, isn't it? Week after week as we go through the Gospel of John, we see a call to trust and obey. Even if life is tough, even if life doesn't work out quite the way we want it to do, we're still called to trust and to obey. One of the things we've been seeing in the Gospel of John, particularly the last two chapters in chapters 15 and 16, is that life can be tough. Think about what's going on and what we're reading at. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his departure. He's getting ready for his own crucifixion and these dark days that his disciples are going to be walking through. But it's not just something for us to look out for the disciples to be like, oh, I'm sorry it was tough for them. Jesus has taught us that life is going to be tough for us as well. He's, going to, he's promised us that the world will hate us because it first hated Him. And friends, those are not things that make us feel good, but I want to remind us as we start this morning that God's main ambition for our life is not that we feel good. Our feeling good is not God's primary goal for our life or for the world for that matter. God's main desire, God's main goal is for us to glorify Him. We've seen it over and over through the Gospel of John. The biggest thing that's most important is that you and I as His followers glorify Him. And we've seen throughout John, we glorify Him when we abide in Him. Abide means experiencing Him, walking with Him, having a relationship with Him. We also glorify Him as we make Him known to others as well. And we're called to glorify God by abiding, by making Him known in a tough world, in a world full of brokenness, in a world full of much sadness, in a world full of much difficulty, even in a world full of opposition. And friends, and I get to know your story. Some of you are in some of those tough places now. You're in places of trials, in places of a lot of temptation, in places of much brokenness around you, in places of opposition coming because of your faith. But if you're not in that place now, we're all going to be there one day. And so if you're in a place now of toughness, this text today, I believe, is going to give you a lot of hope. If you're not in a place of a tough part of life right now, I still want you to tune in because you will be one day. And, if, and as well, you've got friends who are right now and they need your encouragement in the journey as well. And so to think about the idea that life can be tough, friends, that can be kind of a gloomy picture. But one thing that I want you to see in this is that God does not leave us helpless. God doesn't leave us helpless, He doesn't leave us orphaned, He doesn't leave us striving on our own, He doesn't leave us depending on our own efforts, He doesn't leave us abandoned. And there's one thing I want you to see from John 17 this morning, it's simply this, that Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in a tough world. Jesus gives us everything we could possibly need to remain faithful no matter how tough the world gets. Now, what does he give us? Well, find John chapter 17 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible out, because we're going to look at that, and I believe our answer is in John 17 of, what does Jesus give us? What do we need to remain faithful even when life is tough? As you're finding John 17, let me remind us of what's going on here. We're within hours, maybe even minutes, honestly, of Jesus being betrayed. We're within just minutes or hours of Jesus being arrested. We're within 24 hours of him being crucified and what we celebrate on Good Friday. And in this this Thursday evening that we've been seeing now for several weeks, Jesus has got his disciples together in a room. He's washed their feet. He's taken the Passover celebration, made into what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And he's been teaching them many things. And now Jesus is praying for them. We don't know where he was when he's praying at this point. He could have still been in the upper room with the disciples. This could have been a prayer he's praying as they're walking to the garden. It could be in the garden. It doesn't matter where the location is. What's What's important here is God the Son... It's talking to God the Father. And friends, we get to listen in on that. Last week, we saw the beginning of this prayer, and we saw Jesus praying about what is most important, and that's the glory of God. If you remember from the first few verses of John 17 last week, we saw that Jesus saves us, not primarily for us, though we're really thankful he did it. He saves us for the glory of God. And as he continues to pray, we get to listen in. He now begins to pray for his disciples, where we pick up this morning. And I just pray for for you and for me as well, that we get to treasure this, We get to listen to how Jesus, our Savior, prays for us, his followers. And what a blessing that is. And as we read John 17, I want you to listen for one thing as we're reading. And that is, what does Jesus give us that enables us to remain faithful in a tough world? So as we're reading the text, what is it that Jesus gives us that enables us to remain faithful in a tough world, in a world of brokenness, in a world of opposition to the gospel? So we come to John chapter 17. We're picking up this morning in verse number 7. Read verse 7 through verse 16. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? John chapter 17, verse 7, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful that you've given us this as your inspired scripture. And I'm just thankful that we get to listen to our savior interceding for his disciples and for us. And I pray this day we would get to treasure that and we would just see what you want us to see in this. And we would see how you give us strength no matter what we face in life, not because of our own efforts, but because of you and what you provide and what you've done, we can remain strong to the end. So Lord, for that brother or sister who's really struggling today, struggling in a place of opposition, a place of trial, a place of temptation, a place of brokenness, God, I pray that your word today would give them hope perhaps they've not had in a long time. Lord, for those who are at a place right now of fairly ease in life, I pray this day your word would be preparing them for difficulties that do come in the future. But it also would be something you would use to encourage them to minister to those around them who are hurting today. And so God, we just trust you to do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, come, make your word come alive to us this day, that we might have eyes to see it and to understand more of who you are and what it means to be in relationship with you, O Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, I want you to see from John 17, from Jesus' prayer here, that Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in a tough world. Now, we've seen it over and over in John, but we'll see it again today. Look back at verse 14. This is a tough world. This is not an easy place that God has put us. In verse number 14, Jesus prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He reminds his followers through his prayer he's praying to the Father that his followers are not of the world. As it means to be not of the world. It means you don't belong here. The world are those who do not believe. The world are those who have not been transformed by God's grace. And we don't belong to that, to that part of the world. We have different allegiances, different priorities, different beliefs than those who do not follow Christ. You, I, I said it a few weeks ago, but it's a quote that I think bears repeating to remind us of how we're supposed to be different from the world. A guy named D.A. Carson said this. He said, Former rebels who have, by the grace of the king been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. Again, former rebels who, by the grace of the king, have been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. Friends, that reminds us of the reality that everyone on the earth are sinners. We've all sinned. We've all offended God. We're all in some way shaking our fist at God saying, my way, not yours, O oh Lord. And God in His kindness has taken us as His children and redeemed us and brought, his, brought us back to Himself. And we're no longer in rebellion. But those who are still in rebellion, still shaking their fist at God, aren't going to really like the fact that those of us who used to shake our fist at God are now falling at His feet in worship. And Jesus warns us that that is the reality, that we are not of the world. We do not belong. We are different. And yeah, that begs the question, are we really acting different? Or are we trying to blend in? We're supposed to be set apart. Look at verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Why are our lives to be different? Why are we to be different from the world? Well, this goes back to the fundamental question of why did God save us? Why are our lives to be different? Why are we not to blend in? Why are our allegiances to be different than those of the world? It's because we are made to glorify God. Look at verse 10 here. Jesus says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Friends, we are here for a reason, and that is to glorify God. There's no maybe here in Jesus' words. There is certainty here. He says that my disciples will glorify me. It is a certainty here that all true followers of Christ will certainly glorify the Father. And again, we've seen that. We do that as we abide in him. We do that as we share him with the world. Friends, yes, life is tough, but we're here for a very important reason. Look down at verse 15. Jesus prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Have you ever thought about the fact that if God's main ambition was our comfort, then the moment we trust Christ, He could easily have just raptured us out. We believe, and boom, we're in heaven, and all of our comforts now are around us, right? But He doesn't do that because that's not the main reason why we're here. If the main thing why He saves us is so we don't have to go to hell and so we can go to heaven, then the moment we trust Christ, He should just go ahead and rapture us up and send us on up to heaven but he doesn't. Why? Because he's got us here for a reason. He's got us here to glorify God as former rebels who are now calling to other rebels to come bow their knee before the king. He's given us a very specific mission and a very specific calling to glorify him and to make him known to those around us. So he's left us here for a reason, and he warns us it's going to be tough But thankfully, he doesn't leave us on our own. He equips us. He provides everything we need. And in our text today, I think there's four different things that Jesus gives us. As we struggle in this tough world to abide in him, as we struggle to make him known to others, he's given us four resources, particularly seen in this prayer, that will enable us by his grace to remain faithful all the way to the end. I want you to see what these four grace gifts are that he gives us so we can be faithful in this world. Number one, he gives us his words. He gives us his words. Look back at verses seven and eight. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. He's given us his words. Here the word words is plural. It represents all the words Jesus has taught. Everything he's told his disciples from the first conversation till now, these are the words that he has given to them. And notice how the disciples respond to the totality of Jesus' teaching here. In verse number 8, it says that they have received them, and they have come to know. To receive something means you don't just hear it. It means you accept it as true. You believe it. You internalize it. So Jesus is saying, the totality of my teaching, my disciples will receive. They will hear it, but they will accept it. They will believe it. And you see that certainty communicated at the end of verse 8. They have come to know in truth. They have certain belief. His disciples have accepted, have believed who God is. They've accepted, they've believed who they are. They've accepted, they've believed, they internalized what the world is like and how they're to live in it for God's glory. And friends, God has given us his words as well. He's not left us without revelation. He's given us from Genesis to Revelation who he is, who we are, what the world is like, and how we're to bring him glory in our, on this mission that we call life in this world. Friends, if we want to be faithful, if we want to persevere to the end, we must know, we must believe, we must accept totality of the Word of God. Now, the question is, do we? Do we believe? Do we accept? Do we receive all of God's revelation for us? Now, I'm assuming almost every one of you in the room would give me the right Sunday school answer. Yeah, I I believe the Bible, right? Most of us are going to acknowledge that and nod our heads in agreement. But what do our lives show? Do we really believe and receive these words based on how we value it, treasure it, how we study it, how we go to it? Donald Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says this. It says, even though we honor God's word with our lips, we must confess that our heart, as well as our hands, ears, eyes, and minds, are often far from it. Isn't that again? Even though we honor God's word with our lips, and again, I know most of you and most every one of you would say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. Even though we honor God's word with our lips, we must confess that our heart, as well as our hands, our ears, what we hear of it, our eyes, our minds, are often very far God has given us his word, his revelation. If we really believe it's the word of God, we need to treasure it, pursue it, value it, and study it so we might know who God is. God has given us everything we need to remain faithful in this world. And the first thing he gives us are his words. But the second thing he gives us, he gives us his prayers. And I pray you'll treasure this and think deeply about this. This is an incredible truth that Jesus prays for us. Look at verses nine and 10 here. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus prays for his disciples. Why does he say he's not praying for the world here? Because obviously God loves the world. We know that from earlier in John. Why is he just praying for his disciples? Because God's plan for the world to know the gospel is for his disciples to take it to them. God could ride it in the sky. He could do whatever he wants to do. But God's plan is he reveals himself to his disciples and sends his disciples out on mission in the world to glorify him, to make him known to others. So Jesus is praying for his disciples. Ultimately, his end goal is the world knowing him and glorifying him as well. But what does Jesus pray for his disciples with this big mission in view? There's a lot he could pray for, but he prays for just one thing in this text. Now, there's a lot of effects of this one thing, but there's just one simple thing in this text he prays for, and that's this. His disciples be kept. That they will be kept. Look at the language of verses 11 and 12. Jesus prays, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Then verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Now jump down to verse 15. Jesus asks again, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you... Keep them from the evil one. So the one thing Jesus asked for over and over in this prayer is for us to be kept. What in the world does that mean? To be kept means to watch over something, to be protected, to be guarded. Get the image of Fort Knox, the big gold depository for our country. We don't just leave all that gold laying out there hoping someone doesn't in their goodness doesn't come steal it. There are guards who are keeping the gold. They're making sure it remains where it's supposed to remain. Think of London, England, if you've ever gone see the crown jewels. They don't trust the goodness of humanity because there is no goodness in us for someone not to come take it. There are guards who keep the treasures there to make sure us as tourists don't go walk off with those treasures. There's people who keep it there. For those who are parents, or if you're a child thinking back to your own parents, parents keep their kids. When you're at the park or you're at a ball game or you're in a big crowded place, you don't just kind of let your kids wander off. You keep them safe. Friends, those images of keeping, protecting, guarding pale in comparison. To how God, the Father, keeps, protects, guards us, His children. And notice what about God keeps and protects us. Go back to verse 11. It says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your what? In your name. Keep them in your name. Then in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in what? Your name. We are kept, we are guarded, we're protected by the name of God. What in the world does that mean? this is not something mystical here. The name of God represents the totality of who God is. But in particular here, it has in view God's power. We're being kept by God's power. That's why if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see things like in Psalm chapter 20, verse 1. It says, the name of the God of Jacob protects you. What does it mean, the name of God protects you? It means God's power, what the name represents. Or the verse that's perhaps more familiar to you, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. How do I run into the name of God to be safe? It's an image that says God in His power is the one who's protecting us. So Jesus is praying for us, not for wealth, not for fame, not for an easy life. What Jesus is praying for us is that the Father, by His almighty power, the power that speaks in the universe, is spun into being. The song we sang earlier, He speaks and the world comes into being. That same power is the power of, that He keeps us by, that He protects us by, that He guards us by. And friends, that is what, if you're in Christ, that is what Jesus is praying for you right now. That the power of the Almighty God would protect you, would guard you, would keep you, would persevere you in this life. And so friends, my word of hope for you in this is next time you are overwhelmed with temptation, there is no way I can resist this, I'm going to cave in. Think and dwell on the fact that Jesus, God the Son, is praying to God the Father that His power would protect you from that temptation. Next time you're in a trial and you feel like you're at a breaking point and you can't go on any longer, I want you to treasure and think on the fact that God the Son is praying to God the Father right then for you, that God the Father with His infinite power that spoke the world into being would give you the strength to persevere through that trial and not fail. The next time you're trying to share Christ with a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member who does not know the Lord, and you're thinking they will never get this, there's, this is pointless, they're resisting me, there's no way I can get the gospel to them, I want you to pause and remember that God the Son is praying to God the Father that in His infinite power, that He will keep you, protect you, and strengthen you for doing what He has called you to do in this life. Friends, Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in this world. He's given us His words. We know who God is. We know what His will is. We know what it means to glorify Him. He's given us His prayers. He is praying for us specifically for what you are going through in that. And if that's not enough, He gives us more also. He also gives us His joy. He also gives us His joy. Friends, the reality of the tough world we're in and brokenness, the reality of the tough mission to glorify Him and make Him known does not have to lead us to gloom and despair and, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to do this? Life is awful. It doesn't have to lead to that. He gives us His joy. Friends, when we find joy in the midst of brokenness and hurt and opposition, we find great strength to press on, even in the valleys. Look at verse 13 of what Jesus offers to us. But now I'm coming to you. and remember he's praying to the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So, so whose joy is it? Whose joy is it? It's God's joy. It's Jesus' joy. Yeah. This is the where the Sunday school answers right here. This is Jesus' joy, friends. When you're in brokenness and you're in the valleys and the difficulties, you don't have to somehow manufacture joy. This is not the power of positive thinking here and all that nonsense that gets paraded. This is Christ's joy that he is offering to us. not something I manufacture, not something I just kind of conjure up. This is him giving his joy. Why? Because he's giving his presence. If you think about what we've seen throughout John, we have God's presence with us. And when he offers us his joy, his peace, he's offering us himself. And so, friends, in the midst of whatever awful circumstance, trial, temptation, difficulty, brokenness you're in, you have God right there with you. And he says, my joy you can have. And not just a hint of his joy. Again, look back at verse 13 here. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. No matter how difficult life is, God not only gives you His words, His prayers for you, He also offers you His joy, the fullness of His joy. That means, friends, we can experience, in as best we can in this life, the same joy Christ has in the presence with His Father. This means no matter what difficulty we're walking through, think of Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Friends, we can find joy in Christ's presence with us, no matter what difficulty we are having to go face. It's a joy that is not circumstantial. We can have his joy in its fullness in our lives, no matter what chaos is happening around us. Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in a tough world. He gives us his words. He gives us his prayers. He gives us the fullness of joy. But he gives one more thing here. I don't want us to miss that. He gives us one another. He gives us community, brotherhood, sisterhood in the body of Christ. Look at verse 11 here. And I am no longer in the world they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. One of the outcomes of him praying for us to be kept, persevered, is that we would have oneness. What does it mean that we have oneness? Oneness means you have shared life. Oneness means you have shared values. means you have shared missions, shared priorities. You're, You're sharing things. It's a oneness of these type things. It describes God's plan for us to be together. His plan for us is to be one in mind that we be unified in the gospel, as brother and sister in Christ, that we are one in our understanding of who God is and united in the gospel. We have one heart, that we're united in our love for God. We come together in corporate gatherings and small groups to praise God. We come together to love one another. We're united in our wills, that we choose by God's grace to serve one another. We choose to fellowship. We choose to spend time with one or outside this room because he's united us. He's planned for us to be one, to have unity of heart, mind, and will all together. Friends, life is hard. But God in his kindness to us has not made us walk this alone. We are given the grace gift of community, of shared life, that we get to share burdens and share joys together. And none of us in God's plan has to tackle the difficulties of life alone. Yet so often we shun that gift. So often we carry our burdens alone. So often we approach faith like it's a private matter and we tackle life alone. And friends, we miss one of God's great grace gifts to us to help us in this journey called life. Friends, Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in a tough world. In a world of pain and trouble and difficulty, he gives us all we need to be faithful. Can I just remind us this morning that we are here for a reason? In the sovereign plan of God, it is no accident that in 2018, all of us are here in this room and at this place. That's not some accident. That is God's sovereign plan. He's put all of us in 2018 in Montgomery for such a time as this. The reason we are all together as the people of Gateway is no accident. It's God in His sovereign plan has put to us together for such a time as this. Why? To glorify Him. To put us together as a body of believers who together abide in Him, who together live on mission for Him, who together make Him known here in Montgomery into the ends of the earth. Friends, that's His plan for us. It's not an accident. We are here together in this. Friends, we can't do it on our own. I already saw it in John 15 a few weeks ago when He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And friends, we can't. I can't live out the Christian life on my own. You can't live out the Christian life on your own. We're helpless apart from him. But in His kindness to us. He gives us all we need. He gives us his words. So friends, my question for you is, are we reading his words? Is it something we look at just on Sunday mornings when we're here? Or do we really understand that we desperately need him, that apart from him we can do nothing? And are we feasting on this all week long? because we know how hungry we are for him and to need to hear from him. Are we prayerfully approaching his word, going, Spirit of God, I need you. Come open my eyes to the word. I want to know who God is. I want to know how I'm supposed to live. Would you speak into me today? Are we going to his words? He also gives us his prayers. Friends, are we even thinking and dwelling on the fact that Jesus is praying for us? When was the last time we paused and reflected on the fact that our Savior is interceding for us right now? When was the last time we took joy in that and even thanked him for that? When was the last time we talked back to him in prayer and said, Jesus, you're already praying for me, but I just want to tell you what I need, though. You already know it. And we talked back to him in that. He gives us his words. He gives us his prayers. He gives us his joy. Friends, are we experiencing his joy? When was the last time we asked for his joy? It's so easy. I know in my life, when life doesn't go quite like I want it to, to kind of start getting sour about things, right? And to start being like, oh, Lord, this is a hard day. This is tough. This isn't working out the way I want. When was the last time we missed that hardness we cried and said, Lord, life is tough right now, but you already know that. Would you give me your joy right now? Would you fill me with your joy? Would you give me your presence? I want your joy in my life today, no matter what happens in the circumstances around me. And then finally, friends, he gives us community. Friends, are we being intentional with our time to share life? Are we being intentional to get outside the walls of this room and to get to know one another, to share life, to share mission, to get to know one another, and go deep together in community, to help each other in this life that he's called us to live on mission for him? Friends, Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in a tough world. And my prayer for us is that he would give us grace upon grace upon grace to receive those things, to not ignore his word, to not ignore his prayers, to not ignore community, and to not miss out on the offer of joy in our lives. And I believe as he gives us grace to run hard after his word, to celebrate the fact he's praying for us and to talk back to him, to ask each day for his joy, and to be intentional with our time to share life together. I'm looking forward to how he equips us and strengthens us to live out the life he's caused to live, to make him known here in Montgomery to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, what a precious thought this is that you've shown us how you're praying for us, that we don't have to imagine and wonder what the conversation in heaven is like. But Lord Jesus, you let us have a glimpse into how you are talking to the Father on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we're just thankful that we have a great high priest, one who can sympathize with our weakness, one who himself has been tempted in every way and yet is without sin, I pray we would treasure that, God, I pray we would cherish that, and Lord, in my heart, in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, would you give us grace upon grace this week to hunger for your word, to let your word come alive, so would you give us grace upon grace this week to, just to rejoice in the fact that you're praying for us, for us to sense your presence, and where we have joy as a result of God, would you give us grace upon grace this week as our life groups are starting, and other Bible studies are starting, and we're just in the flow of life, to be intentional with our time. It's a body of believers here at Gateway to go deep in community so we don't have to shoulder these burdens alone. Father, I believe as we do that, you will give the grace we need to bring you great glory and to make you known in our lives and, Lord, to those around us, and we'll give you the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?